0: Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Cheryl. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. I do want to say, if you are here for the first time, welcome home. And, and I want to invite you, um, if you did not receive a Connect card on the way in, if you go to declaration.info, there is a place right there for you to Give me your name and email address. I'd really love to reach out to you and get to know you a little bit. And um, you know, my, my prayer is is that you would find a place right here where you know that you belong and you feel like you found family. And so that's kind of the first step for us to be able to, to say hello to you. Please, please do that. And I'd love to meet you after the service. All right, well, let's dive in this morning. Um, you guys feeling good? Anybody, you feeling all right? Drew, good to see you back. We've been praying for you. I'm so glad you're here. Um, looking around the room. I know we've had some, we've had, i gonna tell you what, um, God is moving in such a powerful way, but guess what? The enemy doesn't like that. He did not like that. And We've seen a lot of sickness. We've seen a lot of things happen in the last few weeks, and, and we just continue to stand firm believing that um, the God that moves the mountains who was is the God who is and who is to come, and, and he's for us, and he's with us, right? And so it's really good to see you. I, I want you to hear that. Man, I'm so glad to see you there. All right, here we go. We're gonna be in Galatians chapter four. We've been in this series called Freedom and we're getting close here to, um, to nearly being close to wrapping up, but uh, we got a few things left to say. But I wanna ask you a question. Let's just start this way. I've, I've got a picture of some, some thing. I wanna ask if you recognize what this is. Does anybody know what this is? Can anybody tell me what that is? Your own Sterling for the win. Did anybody do Choose Your Own Adventures growing up? Come on, y'all, somebody. I'm not the only one, right? Who loved these things? Come on, right? I mean, I remember the, the book fair. I mean, I would beg, borrow, and nearly steal. I will confess, I stole a little bit from my mom to get some. I'm, I'm just confess. Mom, if you're hearing on podcast, I apologize. I'm, I loved Choose Your Own Adventure. I loved it. I, I was telling Kelly about this, and she goes, Oh my gosh, I love those books. I mean, who doesn't, right? So, so let's, let's do a choose-your-own-adventure this morning, okay? Let's, let's start here. Let's, let's say that you're going to travel to a very, in, you're going to go on a very incredibly long journey, all right? A very long journey. And, and as, in that journey, as you go, you come to a fork in the road. It might look like this. No, that's not the right fork. Go to the next one. The next one. The next. There is That fork in the road. All right, so let's say you come to a fork in the road. I mean, don't most stories start like this? Like, it was a dark, cloudy night, and there was a fork in the road. No, no, I don't know. So you're at this fork in the road, and and you see a sign that seemingly describes the two different paths that you can choose to take. All right, are you there in your mind's eye with me? I mean, it's kind of like anybody been to a ski resort, and you're flying down a mountain, and then all of a sudden you see these signs, and, and one of them saying, if you go this way, you're going to die. If you go this way, you might not die. I mean, I don't know. It's it's kind of like there's this sign that happens, right? Right there at the fork in the road. And it's telling you that um that both paths seemingly require expert skill level or ability in order to get where you're going. All right. So that, there we are. There's a fork in the road. There's a sign. This is where you can go. It's describing the paths. Um, and let's go ahead and add some layers to it. Okay. Some more information. So, the journey, understand this, the journey, no matter which path you choose, these these paths both have toll booths because it's made in Houston, all right? <laughs> Struggle's real. Um, so there's tolls to be paid on both, on both paths. And they're eventually going to cost you an exuberant amount of money. It's like a daily grind on the Grand Parkway, okay? Um, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Your destination, however, it's an amazingly... Just absolutely beautiful, incredibly majestic and glorious place. So go ahead and go to that happy place with me in your brain, wherever that is. Some of you right now are in the mountains, some of you on the beach, you know, whatever. Just go to that place. It's a glorious, glorious, beautiful destination. So with all this said, now it's important to understand, both paths will include a terrain that is going to be incredibly difficult to navigate. In order to get there, it's going to be difficult to navigate. There's going to be a lot of twists. There's going to be a lot of turns. There's going to be some rocky points of the path, some moments where it's hard to even discern where the road went. Where is the road? Can I find it? I mean, both paths are going to include moments of hardship and even moments of potential loss. So just know that going in. Okay, so here's the last piece of information you're going to need before you choose your own adventure. At the very last second, let's let's just say, Right before you're forced to determine which path it is that you are going to indeed take to get to your desired destination, a man shows up and he says to you that if you follow him down his path, he's going to guide you so that you will truly be able to navigate the path to your desired destination. He also tells you that, guess what? He's already paid all of the tolls for you along this journey. And that that you would not even have had enough money anyway to complete the journey on your own if you didn't trust him and follow him. Lastly, he says something even more profound. He He says that if you choose the other path, though everyone else tells you to believe that it will also lead you to the exact same destination, he needs you to hear it will not. It will not lead there. Only his path leads to that beautiful, amazing, promised destination. But you're going to have to believe him. You're going to have to trust him. Even when it gets difficult, you're going to have to follow him, follow in his footsteps. It's a dangerous terrain. If you want to arrive at the destination, you're going to have to follow him. And then he says one last thing. He says, it will not feel safe sometimes. It's not going to feel safe sometimes if you follow me, he says. But you will have an amazing adventure. It is so incredibly important to never take your eyes off of me, he says. Never take your eyes off me as I lead you because this path can be incredibly dangerous. But if you stick with me, he says it's gonna be absolutely amazing. So, which path do you choose? Knowing all that information, which path do you choose? I mean, it's seemingly pretty simple, right? Right? It's a no-brainer. But for some reason, it's more difficult than it seems. Enter the church of Galatia into the mix, and really the church as a whole for that matter. I mean, we pick up in Galatians chapter 4, and we see that Paul is still full of very just deep angst, deep concern over this church in Galatia, which is comprised of many Gentile people who had believed in Jesus for salvation but are being swayed by the false teachings of the Judaizers. He continues his warning by reminding them reminding them who they are. He reminds them who they are. He reminds them who they belong to now. They belong to Jesus. They've chosen to follow him. He reminds them what they have been given through Jesus Christ. And lastly, he reminds them what they're called to be. I mean, if you remember, look at verse 19. We kind of hit this a little bit last week, but I'm going to hit it again for you so you'll you'll pick up exactly where we are And you'll get it, I think. So Paul says this, he says, my children, he's saying, my converts, my kids in the faith, my brothers, my sisters in Christ, my fellow believers. He says, my children, this is a a term of endearment. He says, I am again suffering labor pains for you, just as a mother would suffer those labor pains in childbirth. I am suffering this for you until Christ is formed in you, until your faith has matured and your belief has formed, set like concrete into convictions. He says, man, I'm struggling over you until you know what you believe, not just with your head, but with your heart, not just with your heart, but with your head, and you live this out with no compromise. He says, I would love to be with you right now, face to face, so that I could change my tone of voice because I don't even know what to do with you. Paul's saying, forgive my frustration. He's saying, but my rebuke is honestly, it's for your own good. It's with the purest of heart and intentions. I have your best in mind. That's what he's saying. Understand this, that the Galatian people, they had not yet fully submitted and given themselves over to the bondage of the law yet. They were still considering. The problem is, is that they were desiring to give themselves over to the message of the Judaizers, this this false narrative of gospel, adding to the simple truth that it's, it's grace alone through faith alone because of a belief in Jesus Christ. So they haven't done it yet, but but they want to. Why? Because of what we learned in Galatians four seventeen. These Judaizers, man, they, they seem enthusiastic. I mean, they're doing everything they can to be the it crowd so that everybody wants to be like them and then push them away from Paul's message. What they were saying seemingly was attractive. It was understandable. It was bite-sized. This I can do. This I can do. And Paul desperately wants to stop them right then and there, right in their tracks. He wants wants them to turn back to life under grace alone. So he's asking them to repent. So in our text today, as we continue in four, we're gonna see Paul tell these Galatians that they deeply need to be aware of or that they need to truly understand what the law really said. In other words, Paul said, you better know what you're signing up for if you're gonna go this way. If you're gonna choose this path, You better know what you're signing up for. He explains by using this scriptural illustration to wrap up his theological defense of justification by faith. Through an Old Testament story about Abraham, he is going to begin. You're going to see he's he's beginning to review what he's already declared about the contrasts between the Mosaic law and grace, between works and faith. So today we're gonna get into Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31 with a message called. The tale of two paths. And I want to look at these two paths. One is a path of promise. Somebody say promise. The other is a path of impatience. So listen as I read. It starts in 21. It says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively. For the woman represents two, they they represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be many more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. So Paul's telling this to the Galatian church here. You're like Isaac, you're children of promise. But just as then the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. But what does scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave but of the free woman. Let's pray really quickly. Father, please help us to digest what it is you want us to hear this morning. Teach us from your word in your name. Amen. So we see Paul pleading with the Galatian Christians. He's pleading them to please resist these false teachers, these Judaizers, these religious zealots who had infiltrated the church. It's important to remember what was going on. Remember the Judaizers, they're demanding the Gentiles to become good Jews. They're demanding um, that they would put into practice all of the law of Judaism before they could become Christians. So basically they're saying, sure, okay, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but that's not enough. That's what was going on here. And then they say, well, if you want to make sure that you'll go to heaven, if you want to make sure that you'll reach your desired destination, be circumcised, obey the Sabbath rules, refrain from eating non-kosher foods. And that list goes on and 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 on it goes. How it overwhelms, but the law never satisfies your soul. See what I did there with that song? Okay, well, maybe So the the religious Judaizers are saying, live under the law, work hard in your religious obligation, make sure you know the rules, make sure you know the role, make sure you know the way it looks, and do it completely, and do it completely. Today, this is the equivalent of the be better, do better morality gospel. This is the message that requires a work ethic of morality to merit Seemingly to try to merit grace, forgiveness, justification, salvation, and righteousness, which is absolutely impossible. So, since these Jewish teachers were so proud of being sons of Abraham, Paul uses just a little bit of sarcasm to poke at their pride by illustrating to them and reminding them not to forget that though they were sons, because Abraham had two wives, they were sons, but Abraham had two wives. I love this about Paul. I love his sarcasm. It's probably why I like his writing so much. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm just uh, confessing. I have a little sarcasm in me unless you don't know that. But um, I love how sometimes he did this, though. It's basically saying, hey, listen, um, Judaizers, great. Not so fast. Not so fast. Um, Don't forget the past. Don't forget that Abraham had two wives. He had Sarah, his beloved soulmate, and Hagar, his Egyptian slave, his maid. don't forget, and each wife represents two different paths two wives, two paths. Each path represents something as well: a path of salvation and a path of slavery, a path of law and a path of grace. Um, does anybody remember back in the day, who's your daddy? remember that? I know. It's like, where does this come from? I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. Anybody remember who's your daddy? Remember all the commercials and all that stuff? One of my favorite um, movie scenes in the movie Remember the Titans. Anyone ever seen that movie? I love that movie. One of my favorite scenes is when Denzel, Denzel Washington, he's playing a football coach. And, um, and he's a new football coach. And all of a sudden, they're getting on the bus to go to football camp. And, and the all-star, all-American you know, football player and his crew walk up. And they begin to tell Denzel Washington, this is how it is going to be. This is how it's going to be. Let's watch how that scene ends really quickly. Watch this you got, your on the team. You got your daddy now you know who your daddy is don't you Gary, if you want to play on this football team, you answer me when I ask you, who is your daddy? <laughs> Who's your daddy, Gary? Who's your daddy? Uh uh-huh. And whose team is this? Is this your team? Or is this your daddy's team? Yours. Mm-hmm. Get on the bus. Put your jacket on first. And get on the bus. Denzel's character is always the same guy. <laughs> but I love it. He's said, who's your daddy? Who's... So yes, Judaizer people. I'm so glad that you were so proud that you were a son of Abraham. I'm very happy for you, Paul's saying. He's your daddy. That's established. But let me ask you a bigger question. Who's your mama? That's what he's saying. Who's your mama? And why did he ask this? Because he was emphatically reminding them that, yes, Abraham had two wives, Sarah and Hagar. And Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. He's saying here... Is your mother Sarah, or is your mother Hagar? Are you under grace, or are you under law? Are you professing Christianity, or are you professing Judaism? Are you free, or are you a slave? Who's your mama? Look at verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, Paul says, don't you even hear the law? Those of you who are desiring to go the way of the Judaizers to be under the law, do you even know what you're asking for? For it is written, verse 22, that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. Hagar the slave, Sarah the free woman. Verse 23, but the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one of the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. In order to understand the gravity of what Paul is bringing to the table, let's look back at history. Abraham and Sarah are old. Somebody say old. They are old, y'all, and, and, but they're really too old to start a family. Like, we would be going, eh, that's grass, yeah. You're old. But God had promised them descendants. He had promised them a legacy, and Sarah desperately wanted children. But she's barren. There's an issue. Talk about, I need the mountain to move. Talk about, I've been marching around these walls. Surely by now they would fall. She's barren, and God's promised her children. God's made a promise to Abraham. His descendants would outnumber the stars. So that's where we're at. That's where we kind of, we jump into this thing. And according to Genesis 12, at 75 years of age, that's why I went L. Um, Abraham is called by God to go to Canaan. And this is where God makes his promise to him about the descendants. At 75 years old, could you imagine mom and dad having a kid at 75 years old? I mean, it seemed as if God was practically waiting until they were both just as good as dad, you know, before he would perform his miracle of giving a son. You know what that reminds me of? Here's what that reminds me of. Listen, God's schedule and my schedule are two different things. Somebody better say amen or Owe me. God's schedule and my schedule are two entirely different things. Some of you have been waiting for years in faith. Walking on the path of promise. Waiting for God to move and give you a miracle. Hold tight, church. Listen, I believe he's on his way. I believe he's on his way. He will provide for his promise in time. He always does. So there's Abraham and Sarah. At 86 years old, still no promise son. Double L, okay? Still no move of a miracle of God. Sarah becomes impatient. Say that word, impatient. So what does she do? She decides to take matters into her own hands, which leads them onto a different path. It's a path of impatience. God gave them a promise. He's the provider. Surely he has a path of promise for them. They chose impatience. Why? Well, God hasn't delivered on his promise yet. So Sarah, she makes her own plan. How many times have we been guilty on not waiting on God? God. How many times have we made our plan when we did not see God providing? Now, let me tell you something. I had to smell what I was stepping in as I was writing the sermon this week. Because I'm sitting here looking at a few mountains myself going, God, you're going to have to move on this. Sarah's plan. She wants a son. God had promised descendants, but he was not delivering. So Sarah suggests, since she's barren, Abraham, you marry Hagar, you marry the maid. Abraham, go sleep with the slave and just maybe then we'll have a son by her. That's the plan. And while this might have been legal in that culture and in that society, it wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's provision. And it definitely wasn't God's will. It was not God's path for them. How many times do we see people in scripture go their own way and make their own plan? It's like over and over. It's like, Israel, can you not just get it? Hello. God had made a promise, and he had a path of promise. But how many times have we chosen the path of impatience? According to Genesis 16, Abraham followed Sarah's suggestion. He married Hagar, and at the spry age of 86 years old, Hagar gets pregnant. And guess what happens next? Sarah got jealous. She got jealous. Listen, I want you to hear this. When we operate outside of God's plan and put our faith in our human strength and in our human schedule, we should not be shocked when we have to deal with our human suffering born out of sin. Yet how quickly we blame God. How quickly we blame God. So at the age of 86, Ishmael is born. This becomes a problem. Sarah gets jealous, of course, Abraham loves Ishmael, though, but Sarah throws them out because she can't handle it. They end up coming back. At 99 years old, 99, God speaks again to Abraham, again, promising a son by Sarah, and says to name him Isaac, which means laughter or joy. God also appears to Sarah to say the very same thing, confirming his call and the promise upon their life. At 100 years old, Isaac is finally born as promised by God. But Isaac's arrival creates a new problem at home. There's now, there's now some new tension in town. Ishmael now has a rival, as brothers do. My kids have just hit the age in their boydom, whatever that is, that they play king of the hill. Anybody remember that, king of the hill? King of the mountain? So they play this, and, and you know, I guess it's somewhat not as dangerous, because it's in, in water at least, but still, I, I'm watching them, like, who's gonna be alpha male? Who's gonna be king of the hill? They're doing this. So, for 14 years, Ishmael has been his father's only son, very dear to his heart. And how will Ishmael respond to his new rival Isaac? Guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna play king of the mountain, king of the hill. He's gonna do everything he can to establish his dominance. In 103, it was custom for Jews to wean their children around the age of three. And it's a big deal, it's a big celebration. This is what happens when Isaac turns three. And at the feast, Ishmael begins to cause problems and mock Isaac, according to Genesis 21. The solution ends up being very costly. Hagar and Ishmael, they gotta go. They are cast out, they are kicked out, and this time it's for good. Why? Because this is what God told them to do. So they're gone. This breaks Abraham's heart, but yet he still follows God. God had a path of promise for Abraham and Isaac. And his promise was the miracle, or Abraham and Sarah, his promise was the miracle of Isaac. But it was their disobedience that led to the son of slavery. And the, the consequence of that disobedience was costly and very painful. Listen, when we choose human schedule and human strength, it always will lead us to a path of impatience. Always. This is where we will move around God's path of promise, and it will result in pain. There's going to be a consequence, and it's going to be costly. So on the surface, the story seems nothing more than just a little bit of family drama. I mean, it has, you know, it's a scriptural soap opera of sorts, right? I mean, it's got all the making of Musty TV, all I'm saying. But beneath the surface are deep meanings that carry a tremendous spiritual message. Abraham, Sarah. Hagar, Isaac, Ishmael, they all represent spiritual realities. And their relationship teach us incredibly important lessons. Verse 24. We're going to look at lessons of spiritual slavery and freedom. Look at 24. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. And Ishmael as is her child. Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. This represents the covenant of Moses. But the Jerusalem above, Sarah is free and she is our mother. As he says to the Gentiles' believers, or the Gentile believers of Galatia, for it is written, as he cross references now the book of Isaiah, he's just basically quoting 54, verse 1. Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you are not in labor. He's basically saying, hey, stay in faith, walk in faith. Your God has made you a promise. Stand firm, follow him on the path, keep your eyes fixed on him, is what he's saying. The children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. It sounds completely backwards, right? It's like a, how do I, I can't see this. I mean, I'm barren. How, how are you telling me that, that I'm gonna have more children than her? And this is the promise to Sarah. He goes on to say, 28, now you too, brothers and sisters, Paul is speaking to this church, to these people, to these believers. He's saying, you too, born of belief and faith, like Isaac, you are children of promise. You were born into promise, the covenant of Abraham that leads to Jesus. You were born from belief in him. And 29, but just as then, the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. So he's saying, and just as it was back when Ishmael mocked Isaac, so it is today. I mean, here's what Paul's really saying. He's digging into the Judaizers right now. He's poking the bear. This is what he's saying. He's saying, by forcing Christians, believers of Jesus, back into bondage of legalism, you are proving your heritage of Hagar. That's what he's saying. Your activity is surely matching your identity, Judaizer. As Ishmael mocked Isaac, you mocked these young Gentile believers. In 30, he says... But what then does scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son. For the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Can I just say something? I'm not trying to make a political statement right now and just hear me out before you, 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 you think I am. This absolutely demolishes the coexist movement. It rips it in half when it comes to salvation. There are not many paths or many gods or many ways to God. The sons of flesh, or the sons of slaves, will never be a co-heir, it says in Scripture. Jesus is the way, truth, and life only. That's what it says in John 14, 6. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. He's the only method, message, and meaning. We live under a monotheist monarchy where God alone is our king. Those who think that they can do it on their own, those who think that they can earn it or work for it, those who think that they can be good enough for it, they're going to be cast out. And I'm not trying to preach that hard. It's just matter of fact. I'm not trying to be that, you know, revival preacher like, if you die in a burning bus today, that's not what I'm doing, right? I'm just saying This is what he's saying. Because they don't believe in Jesus and receive the Spirit of God, they are not sons of God. They are condemned by the law that they live under. They cannot save themselves, and the law cannot save them either. Verse 30 says, Drive out the sons of flesh. They are not children of God. They are not co-heirs. Therefore, brothers and sisters... We are not children of the slave. This is Paul just kind of wrapping up his, his theological defense of justification by faith. He's saying, hey, if you are born into the spirit, Galatian church, American church, we are not a child of a slave. But we're a child of the free woman. Your identity is not of a slave but a son. So why then would we act like a child of slavery? Why then would we subject ourselves or or yield to a yoke or a teaching of bondage and even religion? Why then would we allow ourselves to slip back into slavery or follow the sons of flesh? Why would we allow law and legalism to replace faith and freedom? Why would we think we have work to do when God has done all the work for us on our behalf? We align with Ishmael. Why would we do that? So many times we find ourselves yielding to the law of the sons of flesh. Ishmael was born in the ordinary way, basically meaning born according to flesh, born from the path of impatience and not from the will of God, not born of promise of God. There's a better way to say that. This logically symbolizes all those who try to make it on their own. Ishmael's birth according to the flesh was inadequate because it trusted in the plan of humanity and not in the power of God. Do you see it? Versus Isaac, who was born as a result of the promise. He represents all those who cannot make it on their own and must rely on the grace, provision, and promises of God. These two women, Sarah and Hagar, they represent two great covenants in Scripture, the covenant of Moses and the covenant that is of Abraham, and the promise which ultimately leads to the fulfillment in Jesus, those born under the law and those born of the Spirit, those born in slavery and those born in freedom. P.S., this is for free. The battle that we see beginning in Genesis between Isaac and Ishmael, that war still rages today. That war still rages today on a global level. We see a global war today. It doesn't take long. Turn on the news for five seconds when you can get past tweets. Look at the war on terror even. This is leftover residue from the descendants of Isaac and Ishmael. Just as the spirit of the Judaizer is alive and well in the church today, trying to pull immature believers of Christ back into spiritual slavery of legalism, the spirit of Ishmael still mocks Isaac, it's still jealous of Isaac, and it's going to do everything it can do to wipe out the sons of promise. It still happens today. The spirit of Ishmael is still trying to play king of the hill, but he loses, Jesus wins. And all those who embrace the grace of God and by faith place their trust in Christ alone, they will find life and freedom. And freedom. Here's the point Paul's trying to make to us today. Each of us, male, female, Jew, Gentile, black, white, rich, poor, we all can share in the inheritance of God. Every single one of us who trust in Jesus as Savior becomes children of the free woman. We are released from the bondage of the law and offered the grace of God instead. And our inheritance Freedom in Jesus Christ, freedom in Jesus Christ. If we had time, we would look at John chapter eight and it would show you, can I ask you a question? Has the grace of God freed you today? Have you been freed by the grace of God? There is a path of promise, I assure you. And there's also a path of impatience, Will you be obedient to the promise of God in Jesus? Or you do it on your own way? You try your own way. I'm gonna end with this. Listen, the law, the law has its place in God's plan. It does. It has its place in God's plan. The law of God is not the goal, but more so, it is that road sign that we talked about in the beginning, at the fork of the road. It is that road sign that tells us this. You have failed, and you need Jesus. That's what it is. We should not be chained to this warning sign, and we should never try to chain others to it either. If we are to be chained to anything at all, let us willingly be chained to Christ. It was because of Abraham's faith in God's promise that made him right with God. Where the law lacks power to transform the love of Jesus can. What path are you on? What path are you on? Are you on the path of promise this morning? Or have you chosen the path of impatience? If you remember from our Choose Your Own Adventure, which path do you choose? It's paid for. You don't have enough for it, so you're not going to make it. But if you choose the right path, it's paid for. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be scary. You're going to have suffering. You might even experience loss, but keep your eyes on him. He's going to get you to the desired destination. And somehow, in the mix of all of that life that you live on the journey, it's going to be an amazing adventure, even through the hard moments. Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray that this morning you would continue to do in our hearts what we see you did in the hearts of that Galatian church. God, it's easy for us to default into a system of rules or morality and not even understand what's behind it. Father, I pray that we live not out of feeling like there's a prerequisite to get to you by being better and doing better, but that we live out of response because of who you are and what you've done. Thank you for your riches, God, lovingly lavished upon us, paid for by Jesus Christ. I pray that we choose the path. in Jesus' name together. Amen. As the band leads us just in the last few minutes, we want to come to the table. Man, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to come and partake of what looks like bread and juice. And, you know, as we pray um, and we enter into this time, here's what I believe about communion. I believe that God does something so supernatural in this moment with us in our lives as we come to the table and remember as we see the body of Christ who was whole knowing that we were broken but willingly allowed himself to become broken so that we could be made whole. That's why the cross as we look at juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled out on our behalf to cover our sin and To give us access to God. To assure our forgiveness. To open the door so that we could have grace. He was full and we were emptied. But he emptied himself. He poured out his blood to cover our sin. So that we could be filled. And so that's why it's important that I say. If you have surrendered your life to Christ. Come to the table. I want to hear you say my heart is this. The table is for everyone and anyone. But scripture says if you have not yet come to that place where you would surrender your life to the Lord, it would be better if you would just stay quietly, prayerfully, as we just pray a blessing over you during this type of response, okay? There's prayer partners back there on that wall waiting to receive you and pray with you. Let's stand and let's sing and let's worship, man. Let's just give God gratitude. Let's sing to him for just a few minutes and before we're dismissed. And, and this morning as we, as we worship, um, man, give your heart. Give of your life. Thank you. You've given your time. Give your, your, your treasures and your talents. Serve. Get, in, get into a small group. Give to the kingdom financially. Let's just worship him in all ways this morning, in the next few minutes that we have together. All right? Let's worship. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org slash podcasts.